This episode contains graphic content that may be alarming to some. Listener discretion is advised. Billy, the Carly Simon thing is one of the biggest mental fucker-uppers of my whole life. I don't even know if you know that whole story. I only know that I, like, made the connect, and you're like, I got no, it. No, you don't even know. Okay. Come on, man, let's go. Let's get that one more time. This is a show inspired by one of my kids who, for them, making mistakes and facing failure when things aren't predictable can be really tough. But life isn't predictable. If you want to be successful at anything, mistakes and failure, they're just required. You've got to fall down if you want to move ahead. And in today's social media world, we're so good at posting our best angles with the best filters. We're not posting the mistakes we make. We're posting our victories. But that's not real life. Being a Grammy-nominated songwriter, producer, and entrepreneur, I get to hang with some of the most influential, bigger-than-life human beings on the planet. And even when making the biggest hit records, few nail it on the first take. I'm going to try and challenge the stigma of fucking up and explore how even the most successful people face personal and professional moments of doubt and hopefully show all of us that our failures, our more fragile moments, are where greatness is born. I'm your host, Billy Mann, and this is Yeah, I Fucked That Up. My guest today is the incredibly talented and multifaceted actor, singer, songwriter, and director, Liz Gillies. I first met Liz when we were set up by her A&R executive at Columbia Records. And the goal of the meeting was to try to build a bridge between the commercial aspirations of Columbia Records and the creative aspirations of Liz, who at the time was a teenager. Liz started her acting career at a very early age on Broadway in the musical 13 with her friend Ariana Grande, who she later co-starred in the Nickelodeon series Victorious with. And then after Victorious, Liz went on to multiple TV shows and films and most recently was the star of the CW series Dynasty. But before we get into the conversation with Liz and her illustrious career, I have to say when I first met her, I was so taken aback by how mature she was as a teenager. The two of us sat on a park bench in Washington Square Park talking about this marriage between art and commerce, what the record company wanted and what she wanted creatively. And I thought to myself, how is this teenage girl so evolved and balanced in articulating what she wanted out of her artist career? What I learned over the years being friends with Liz is that she's one of the most thoughtful people when it comes to checking in with herself. In fact, I think she would argue and I would argue she's almost too thoughtful because you can't succeed without making mistakes. It's easy for me to say how important mistake making and self-doubt is in order to create something great. But for a self-admitted perfectionist like Liz Gillies, I'm not so sure it's as easy. Is she willing to be open about it? I'm excited to learn how she navigated the Hollywood and music machinery from such an early age and how actually I inadvertently played a small role in what she considers her major fuck up. Liz, thank you so much for being here. Oh my and, God, of course, Billy. And talking about fucking up and <laughs> failing with me. So when you were little, yeah. you're a little kid, you're like eight-year-old Liz, seven-year-old yeah. Liz. What do you want to be when you grow up? Performer. I wanted to be on Broadway. I wanted to be a singer. I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to be in movies. I wanted to be all of it. My parents were just like, okay, 
They never pushed me. They Anything I asked, they found a way to try to make happen. Like I wanted to be in dance classes. I wanted to take singing lessons. And there was a community theater audition. They drove me and they just really always supported me. And thankfully so, because I was very driven and I was really determined to make it happen in some way. When you were little, what was the first audition that you did not get? Okay, well, one I really, really remember. I used to have terrible nerves when I would audition, when I would sing, and it would manifest in me swallowing a lot. I would be like, is it? It was just like, it was so weird. And it was such a bummer because I was so not a nervous person. I was fearless when it came to performing. So something happened where they're having this competition at the Apollo Theater. (laughs) A bunch of kids from my school auditioned and they all sang Lean on Me, which first of all, it's just, it's just why. And I went and I remember the girl before me sang my song. She wasn't from our group. And then I went up there and I just swallowed on loop. I just, I don't even know. I just, I just, I had so many nervous tics and I completely blew it. And another girl from our town made it. And I was so flipped out over that. It really freaked me out. What was that? What did you do? To me, nothing shakes me or derails me and freaks me out more than failing. And nothing. Go to the scene of the crime. You're a little okay. kid. A you little just kid. got up at the Apollo. Yeah, and you I'm just in the choked. wings. It's a little sick. I was so young, but I knew myself so well back then. I was like, I think I'm gonna, I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm gonna blow this. I just feel it right. coming. And then the girl sings before me, and she's good. And this is not a thing that really fucks with me now. When I, you know, when the walls are thin in an audition, you hear somebody and they're really nailing it. Like that doesn't. I don't care anymore as much. I never thought of that. Oh, yeah. When you do auditions, so it's like thin walls. Is that on purpose just to like fuck with people? I bet it is, right? (laughs) (laughs) Those assholes. I mean, maybe it's not. But and also everything's virtual now. It's so weird. Or the worst is when they're leaving. They're like, "Okay, oh, no, I'll call you next week. Stop. Oh, my God. The laughers that would come out like they were having the best time of their lives in there with the people who are supposed to be, you know, strangers and judging you. That's another tactic. Anyway, I bombed that one. I was totally upset. But I thought of a better one even before that. I had my whole family. We went to Universal and I saw they were holding auditions for Slime Time Live, which was a show that was on where they would slime you. That's really the whole premise of the show on Nickelodeon. But I'd always wanted to be a Nickelodeon. So we waited online for upwards of four hours. I ruined the whole trip for everybody because I wanted to be on TV. My parents were like, oh, okay, you know, you have a brother who'd really love to ride some rides, but okay. So someone split off with my brother. Someone waited with me. I get on the show. I went through like three auditions and I looked at the wrong camera and my back was on TV and I didn't know. I didn't win. I didn't know I didn't get slimed. And then I went off and I think it was my mom who was like, you were so great. You, I mean, you know, you, you know what you did. And I was like, no, what did I do? I must've been 10 or nine or eight. And she's like, well, you looked at the wrong camera, but it's okay. It was so cute. You looked so happy. And I was, I shut down. I remember we went to some restaurant and I just cried the whole dinner. I just bawled and they're like, okay, let it go. It's over. All right, so there's that, there's the Apollo. Next, what was the next one? Next one, I auditioned for The Grinch on Broadway. I was maybe 12, and I went, and I was doing the choreography. I got to the dance round, and I did a cartwheel, and I knocked another girl down, and she fell. And I saw the guy write down long legs in a bad way, and then they dismissed me. <laughs> and I was, okay, and then that pissed what me was off. that car ride home like? Just angry, really, really angry. I, I had once a callback on my birthday, for a big movie when I was older. I was 17, 18 years old and I bombed it on my birthday. So I wouldn't celebrate my birthday. And my friend who flew in town for my birthday had to blow out my candles for me. And she was sung to at all the restaurants we went to and we did all the plans, but I basically protested. So 
yeah, it's, it's, you know, I've gotten a lot better, but I don't do very well with failure. Rejection is fine. I'm really fine with that. Failure on my part, a fault on my end, that really gets me. There's a quote, to win, you've got to lose. To be successful, you've got to have something that's not successful. Do you think that that's true? Absolutely. I think it's like a relationship, you know, like I talk to people who have, they're like, we've been together three years. We've never had a fight. We've been so lucky. Everything's been great. We really haven't faced a hardship and it's been wonderful. And I'm like, oh, how horrible. You're going to be so screwed because first of all, you learn from these. I learned something from every single one of these buck ups. I did. But as the stakes got higher, right? Because yes, you had these moments, but then, you know, you got a TV show, you got a Broadway show, you got another TV show. Okay. So now you're at Victorious. Right. And was there a moment where shit went bad? The one thing I was thinking about recently on Victorious was I had to do this segment where I would basically be mean to little kids, but I would improv it. And it was a really fine line because my character's really mean and acerbic and she says all kinds of crazy things. But I did one one time and the kid was upset after and I was just horrified. The kid was so young, maybe five, and I was holding oh up God. like their artwork and saying how awful it was. And I'm like, you know, you're untalented, right? Like your parents don't love you. Like I was saying crazy things that had worked in the past with other kids, but it's like everyone's different. I don't know how old these kids are. And I just remember the kid kind of walking off kind of feeling bad. And I... I was like, I don't ever want to, I don't want to do that again. They're all very funny. And hopefully the kid forgives me now. When they watch it back, they saw it was pretty good, but. <laughs> Were there ever failures off camera, even at home, that could bleed into what you were doing on camera? I just think the greatest challenge for me at that time was just growing up on TV and having to watch myself on TV throughout that entire thing because it affected everything. It affected what I let myself wear on the show, my character. It affected the, the the faces I made because I would start watching the show and be like, oh, my God. And it's a comedy and you should never think that. But I also was like changing in real time into an adult from like a kid teenager. And I didn't have the privacy of my life. I had to do it on TV, like in Super HD with acne and everything. And it was really that was really difficult for me. And that was nobody's fault. That was, you know, I wanted to be there. That is a part of life. <laughs> that's puberty. That's that's happens. And so I think I, I really let that mentally take a toll on me. And that was really difficult for me during that time. And so I was actually pretty thankful that I got to have a character that sort of had a bit of a severe look. So I didn't have to just kind of go in there raw every day, like my changing face and body. As I dive back into my conversation with Liz, I can't help but think of my own daughters and how I not only set themselves up for success, but how I try to set them up best to handle failure. I had a recent conversation with my eight-year-old who, after the pandemic, needed some extra reading help at school for a few months. And she was saying how she felt stupid and kind of like a failure. And I was so quick to jump in and say, that's super normal, it's not a big deal, relax. Everybody gets some extra help sometime. Is that I actually cut her off and I didn't give her the room to feel all of the feelings. And that's the worst thing I could have done. And what the best thing I could have done is just let her vent. We have to stop rescuing our kids. And 
they have to build up that tolerance with disappointment and all of these things that we're always quick to make easier for them. And that leads to this question, what's the worst thing that happens if you try something and fail at it? And is that worse than never trying it, never knowing and regretting it? And this leads us back in to our conversation with Liz Gillies and what's happened with her in her career where she's basically cut herself off from an opportunity that she thought she always wanted. So I guess we should go back and talk briefly about how we met. And I'll start by saying you were signed then to Columbia, Columbia Records. Sony, yeah. And Maria Egan wanted me to talk to you. I was driving her crazy, I think, because they signed me and a bunch of other kids from Nickelodeon Victorious at the time, musical-based shows, with an idea of what would make sense for us, you know, what direction musically it would make sense for us to go into. And her influences for me were Avril Lavigne, Pink, Kelly Clarkson. And at the time, I was so short-sighted, so thinking this was a cool thing to say. And I'm like, oh, but Maria, I love Carly Simon and Cat Stevens, and that's the music I want to make. And she's like, cool, love that. But let's let's think, let's not box ourselves off and let's kind of think of what would make sense. And, you know, there are different avenues and different ways. And I think a big part of us meeting is that you, I think, obviously understand such a broad spectrum of music and you don't define it in labels in that way. And she thought maybe that you could reason with me, talk to me, understand me. And also, of course, you were friends with Carly and that was something I wouldn't shut up about. So she probably thought that was something too. In your obsession with Carly Simon, I linked you up with Carly Simon. This is the greatest regret of my life. I don't know the greatest regret. I mean, you're not. It is. Billy, the Carly thing is one of the biggest mental fucker uppers of my whole life. I don't even know if you know that whole story. I only know that I like made the connect and you're like, I got it. No, you don't even know. Okay. Okay. So really quick, you connected me with Carly. I called her. She was expecting my call because you gave her a heads up and that's how we spoke. And we talked for about an hour. We talked about everything. And I was like, this. I was, it was so surreal. I didn't even understand. I sent her some of my music. She wanted to hear it. And she said, I love your music. If I send you some lyrics, will you write a song to them? And she sent me lyrics. Wait, can we just stop for a I'm second? serious. You were on the phone with Carly Simon. How old were you? I must have been 18. But this is your connection. It's not like this. I know, but I'm, not, I'm just wild. like, I'm just, I'm like trying to understand. Okay. So, cause I didn't know this stuff. Yeah, no, this is where it gets really sad. So she sent me these lyrics. She sent me like Carly Simon lyrics. She literally was like, here, I have these. Put some music to them, write something, write something to it. And at that time, I wasn't as comfortable on piano as I am now. And I completely choked. I choked. I would look at them every single day. And I thought to myself how I will never be able to write anything that's good enough to send Carly Simon. I, I, there's nothing I'd love to avoid more than disappointing her with her wonderful lyrics. And I just let it every day. I let every day pass by. I never did it. I think I even emailed one time. I was like, just need a little more time. She's like, That's, yeah, cool, whatever. And then I I ended up finally saying, um, I don't even know what I said. I don't even know what I said. I must have said something horrible. I can't. I used to go look up the email and read it to torture myself. But I said something along the lines of didn't do it, can't do it or something. And then she said, send my lyrics back to me like over email. <laughs> like so she could, <laughs> which she has them because they're in her scent folder, but she wanted me to like send them back to her. Like, cause it was, she was nice, but she was just, I mean, I just was such a fail. I would a fail that to me. Cause I don't have many like grand self-inflicted fuck ups in my life. That is a real gross one, I think. But is it gross because it's, I mean, I'm not trying to like 
pour salt in a wound, but it's like there is this piece of your career that you've been flirting with for a long time. Yeah. So is it like more profound because because it represents unfinished business? Like, is there something stopping you from like going and making a record? Yeah, I mean. What is it? Well, I've always been really, first of all, just on a superficial level, I, I do tend to sign myself up to very all-consuming jobs. That's really put a damper in a, in a, in a I, I know that people do it. I know that historically many, many people have been very busy and still turned out an album. I think for me, I've always had this fantasy and this vision of it being a sort of blue or a tapestry, only in the way, not even kind of sonically, but in the way that I do it myself. And it's something I do myself. And I think my turning away help and wanting to stay true to this very pure vision of me doing everything myself and writing the album myself, that has probably hurt me. I was just talking to my husband about this the other day. I was like, oh, maybe I'll get with this person and I'll write my whole album with this one person. And he's like, well, why don't you write with many people and see what happens? And I was like, no, because I only want one person. And he's like, why? I have all these strange things that are not helpful in my head about what it needs to be. And it's not different. Like you said, I've been flirting with it. It's not very different from a relationship. Like you have your dream man and your dream thing or your dream woman. And then you end up not dating anybody because nothing's ever going to be perfect. The timing will never be perfect. And you just got to kind of jump in and give it a shot. I've written probably, I don't know, like I have close to like 50, 60 demos that I've done. Nobody believes me. And they're all over the place and they're all nice. One of them we wrote together. I know. And I love that one. And it's just like funny. I just I, I my standards are way too high. I'm too afraid to turn out something that I would consider to be mediocre or not brilliant. This is really my standard is brilliant, which is just like, what is that even? I should just be making music to make music. But I remember my final attempt going into Sony. I had blonde, blonde, full blonde hair. And I went in in like a Nancy Sinatra vintage outfit that I bought. My mom had to drive me and I was like, I'm going to do a jazz record like I'm going to do a, a, a jazz record, like legit Nancy Sinatra jazz themed. That's who I am as an artist. And this is just this is coming off of me one second before doing, I believe it was rock. And this has been the problem, though. And I do think this is a problem with labels. They really want you to or at least back then. I think it's different now, but they really were like. What is your genre of music? And that's how we're going to find your writers. And that's the vein we're going to write in. And I've always liked everything. What I like in music is so broad and all over the place. So I kept trying to reinvent myself as one thing. I remember I went in there and I took a meeting and it was just like, what are you, what is this? What is this? What's happening? I really think the death of my music career, or the, 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 there's no death because there's never been a life. <laughs> no, but there's been a life. Wait, there's that's, been I mean... <laughs> I'm so judgy, I think, of other people's music, and that's what stopped me. But I will tell you, like, my what I'm going to do, what I've always said, like, I'm never going to do, like, two more days, pre-sale, da-da-da. I'm just going to drop it and leave. I'll probably leave social media, too. I'm going to drop it, and I'm going to go away. And I'm going to let people enjoy it or not, and that'll be what I do, because I just can't. I think making it look like I care so much, that just makes it harder. And I think that the biggest rival my music career, potential music career faces and has always faced is my acting career. It's really like a Jekyll and Hyde thing for me. It do, they do not go hand in hand together. They're not helpful for one another. The times I feel most musical or the times I've felt most musical, 
quarantine, when I wasn't going to work every day, when I wasn't playing a character, when I wasn't anybody, I was just in my house. There was nothing. There was no social media. There was nothing going on. It was just me as a person in my house with a piano. I could be in touch with myself and what I think. I'm not thinking about work because I'm a workaholic. I'm textbook definition workaholic. The last five years, me on Dynasty, that's all I was doing. When I got home, that's all I was doing. It was just that. I'm not good at like from this hour to this hour, I'll do yoga and then I'll write a song and then I'll meditate with incense and cry. I just am head down, work, and it would be the same way with music, but I can't do both. But maybe if I took less committed jobs, that would be helpful because I'm getting old, Billy. I'm getting old to be making an album. No, that's yeah. no. Oh, Listen, yeah. Michael Bolton was in his 30s raising his daughters on food stamps before he had his first hit. Is that true? That is true. But I want to take this back for a second. So when you go back to the question of when you were eight, what did you want to do? Yeah. And you're like entertainer, but singing, at least as I know you, has always been a part of it. And you've yes. done singing on Victorious. You did it on Broadway. You did it in Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll with Dennis Leary, which by the way was like, I think just as a fan, a breakout role for you. Yeah, I thought so. Because you were no longer a little, like whatever decision-making was a part of that, I thought was great. The great irony of that was that one of the producers showed Dennis the video of Jade singing in Victorious, and Dennis said, bring her in. I mean, that is just for you. There's how weird show business is, right? I'm on a children's show singing a teeny bopper pop punk song I wrote with my colors in my hair and the whole bit. And uh, it had enough, I guess, grit and authenticity to it for him to want to see me. Because when he heard I was on Nickelodeon, he was like, no fucking way. No chance. Don't bring her in here. Please, God, no. But then it was kind of fun. He saw that I could sing. And then I came in there and I'm just like cursing and, and, and improving and spitballing with him. And then I thought, I think he kind of liked the dichotomy at that point. And he's like, oh, we have to do this. It's fun. But it also fit with the show and the yeah, character because totally. it was like, my baby girl is not a baby girl anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I felt like that you broke out for people that didn't see that show. It was yeah, awesome. A lot but, of people didn't see it, but I liked, I but, loved doing it. It was so much fun. Like I said, they're singing in Broadway. They're singing on the show with Dennis and they're singing with Seth MacFarlane. Yeah. They're singing on Dynasty, but it's not the feature thing. And meanwhile, you have not yet made <laughs> an album. I know. If anything else, I have now publicly had the conversation <laughs> with you. Yeah. I am publicly, I am music shaming you. They, my fans just think I'm an asshole. I'm just toying with them that it's just something I do for fun. No. That I've never written a song or that I've never ever tried. I, I mean, that whole 2013, 14, I was only in the studio with people. That's all I was doing. I was writing and writing and writing. But my thing is like, if I'm going to take my first shot, because now I've waited so long. If I had been putting out music this whole time, I would keep putting out music, but now that I've waited so long, my first shot has to be the right shot. I have to drop a bomb <laughs> or else. It, and it, I'm not looking for a hit, nothing like that. All I'm looking for is a piece of work that I feel represents me and that I'm proud of and that I can play even in small clubs and, and have a, even if it's a small, rabid fan base that connects to it. That's all I want. I've never been trying to be a pop star in stadiums. That's not my goal. It's been about... Mm looking at a body of work that I create and thinking that's me and that's that's the music that represents me. And until I have that, I'm not going to put it out. I think, I mean, this is the last thing I'll say about the music side of things, at least for me, is that the hard thing about music is you create something and then you're judged. 
Yeah. And there's no filter. Like a TV show, you can really take cover in the machinery. You're also playing a character. Right. But whereas here, I mean, I know you don't like flying. No, I don't like it's flying. Like fly, it's like being on the airplane. It's like you're not in control as soon as you leave the ground, as soon as you put the music out there. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I, for fun, if you look at my Instagram, I will literally dress up as a man and answer questions for like three days. Like I do weird shit, Billy. So I don't really care oh, what I other, know. I don't care what other people think in that way. But for me, it's like, I need to play it for my most well-respected music friends and I need them to say, that's good. And if, I, if they say that's good and I think it's good, that's fine. I will say for sure that the moment you decide to do it, which is, that's how long it'll take you. There'll be just, there will be a moment that I you know. decide. Whenever that happens, it's going to be game on. It's just, that's how I process things. I make a decision and then I really, I go for it a hundred percent. So is it the clarity, the internal clarity is that what drives that? Like, Yeah. I don't have a really great communication system with my, <laughs> with my body. So sometimes it'll, I'll just know something all of a sudden I'll miss all the little steps that were like, Hey, this might be happening or Hey, sounds like we might be doing this and it'll just jump right to like, done. We're doing it. Okay. Got it. I have to say my takeaway, like one of the big takeaways for me, which I never thought about with you, which is the years and years of judgment that you have been subject to from the time you were little, whether it was the Apollo stage (laughs) or in that audition room, the consistency of being judged like that. I don't think people really understand what that means. If you screw up, you screw up, but you can't just crumble from it either, but you have to acknowledge it. And I think acknowledging it, growing from it, learning from it, moving on, it's all good. And not everything has to be rose colored. It's like sometimes things go wrong and it's okay. And you now have to move forward. So this is part of the reason why this podcast is important to me is the people that are listening to it are listening to this insanely successful person talk about their fuck-ups, the moments where it doesn't go their way, and they keep going. I think this is the point that I'm hoping to make because the people who went to an audition and heard the laughter through the thin walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And like already feel bad about themselves. It's like one of the things I say about L.A., and I'm sorry, to people. I'm kind of LA hater. The weather's I am awesome, too, though, but, famously, so you're good. But it's like, I've never known a city that makes successful people feel more like failures than LA. It's like, for some reason, <laughs> you can be oh, yeah. super successful and you will still kind of have moments where you feel bad about yourself. Yeah. So if you have a fan right now that's listening to this and they're really a disaster, like their relationship collapsed mm-hmm. or they lost their job or yep. they have something that they want to do and they tried and like face planted full on. Yeah. And they're like fetal position. What are you saying to them? I'd say how liberating that you hit such a tragic low point. It's probably not going to get worse from here. Take a moment, think about it, acknowledge it, and then try as hard as you can to get yourself back up, dust yourself off and go try something different. Try a different approach and try again, because this is just all some weird game. Life is just like a weird, like they were like dropped here on this planet. It's just this strange kind of mind fuck. And it's just about getting through and trying to stay happy and stay healthy and take a different avenue, take a different route, try something new, make a left instead of a right, because rights don't sound like they're working. (laughs) 
So do something different. But you know what never helps is just beating yourself up over something. Acknowledge what you did. If you did something wrong, own it and move on and try to fix it. Don't let it get you. There's no point. Life is too short. No one cares as much as you do. That's what I've really learned (laughs) in my life. And when you think of the time that you were at the bottom of the barrel in the fetal position, is there one thing that sticks out to you? All my problems in my life have been from my own brain. So it's like if you can get yourself into a hole, you can probably get yourself out of a hole, usually. If you think of a literal hole, that might be hard because you can always jump down and then you have to crawl out. But if we don't, if we take the hole out of it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I do. I, You know, what, what it makes me think about is when people say, speak kindly to yourself. Yeah, I know. Like I never really... I don't want to say I didn't get it. I kind of thought it was hokey. Yeah. But it is really true. I heard somebody yesterday say this. You probably know what this is already. It's like the five question or the five rule. I think Jamie Lee Curtis was talking about it in some interview. I'm totally misquoting it, but it was basically that you ask yourself, is this going to be a problem for me for five minutes, five hours, five days or five years? Exactly. And then once you do that, you're like, okay, well, feels like a five minute one. I bet that wasn't even the point of her interview. I just heard that and decided to share it. Well, listen, in 20 years, if you and I have a conversation and you didn't put out a record, yeah. do you think that that would be a failure? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> 20 years for sure. We just finished talking to Liz Gillies, and I'm struck by the fact she's done all of this amazing stuff, but when asked what she really wanted to do when she was young, that singing was a big part of it. She's flirted with it, right? She's performed on Victorious. She performed on Broadway. But when it comes to actually her making her own album, which is something she's always wanted to do, even having had major record deals, she still hasn't done it. And what I keep hearing from all of the guests that we have is this fear ratio. How much can you tolerate when it comes to the fear of doing something and failing at it? My frustration for me is knowing how super talented she is and that she hasn't leaned into that hard enough. No pressure, Liz, but I want you to do it. I want you to do it not because it has to be on a chart somewhere, but to do it because if it gives you joy, fuck press and all that other stuff, not because those things can't be meaningful, but if you know that artists of all kinds and statuses are releasing tens of thousands of songs every day, why not put yourself out there? At what point does a person, even with all of these other successful pillars holding up their career and their life, just say, fuck it, I got to just go make this record. I got to just go paint the painting I want to make or write that book I've been wanting to write or run that marathon I've always wanted to run. Because you know what? Oprah Winfrey ran a marathon. She didn't win, but she ran it. She completed it. Howard Stern started painting, and now he shows his paintings in galleries. By the way, so is George W. Bush. Clearly very different people, but both are people that found this other thing later in life, and they went after it. What stops you from doing the same thing? I think it's judgment. Judgment sucks. But in a world where everybody has a button that can like, follow, or unfollow, or comment, if we stop doing things because we're afraid of being judged, then no one's going to do anything. And how uninteresting would the world be then? 
So go make your record, Liz. Yeah, I Fucked That Up is an Interval Presents original production from Silver Sound. Produced by Reed Adler and Jesse Ash. From Interval Presents, executive producers Alan Coy and Jake Kleinberg. Executive producers from Silver Sound are Corey Choi and Reed Adler. Story producer Jesse Ash. Senior producers Hunt Beatty and Rebecca Halperin. Sound, edit, design, and mix by Luke Allen. Original music by Killy Idol. Special thanks to Director of Operations Sarah Yu, Senior Director of Digital Strategy and Business Development Sheffy Ellenzweig, and Director of Marketing Samara Still. I'm your host, Billy Mann. Make sure to follow Yeah, I Fucked That Up and listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 